You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday night. Time for American Wine on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? I'm going to jump right into it here. I am joined tonight by uh, two people that I've known for quite a while. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of a reunion of sorts because I haven't seen one of them in 14 years or something like that. And uh, and they haven't seen each other in a while either. So uh, the the first guest is uh, Donna Cupper, who was uh, my high school drama teacher and uh, headed up a, a legendary theater program at uh, South Lyon High School, um, which is now South Lyon West or Old South Lyon, as they call it. And then you also taught at South Lyon East when that opened. Um, and then Jim Kroll, who is an old classmate of mine and a colleague of uh, Donna's and now has a teaching career of his own. So thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for braving the traffic and the and the the bad directions. So <laughs> thank you for inviting us. Yes, not a problem. All right. Well, um, Donna, we'll start with you. Um, I always begin these interviews with the same question. That question is, where were you born? Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. Yes, sir. And then did you grow up in Detroit? I did. I did until I was nine years old, and then we moved to Redford Township, and I graduated from Thurston High School and went to Michigan State, um, majoring in theater and um, as a teacher, though, in education. And I met my husband there, and a year after, I taught in Saginaw, Michigan for a year, and we got married, and that was the beginning. We've been married 51 years. And now he's out in the waiting room. He's in the yeah. waiting room, where <laughs> he belongs. Gun, <laughs> <laughs> he's always waiting for me. <laughs> um, so what was uh, – you gave me a really nice, succinct uh, kind of summary of your, your, your childhood and adolescence there up until you got married. Um, but what was uh, what was your childhood like? Like what were you into as a kid and, and uh, what were you interested in? Well, I went to parochial grade school up until high school and got a scholarship to Ladywood. And my father said, absolutely not. You're going to public school, which was the best decision he could ever make because I started school a year young. I was four. So I, I was so backward and such a geek. <laughs> <laughs> so when I started high school, I finally had friends and, you know, grew up. And it was around boys and all that good stuff. And um, I had a wonderful childhood. Um, my ch- my mom and dad loved going to theater, and that's how it got me started. But their theater at the beginning was like going to see Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. And we did Bolshoi Ballet. We did Hello, Dolly. I mean, we saw a lot of musicals and things, and that's what got me excited about it. So um, when uh, I went to high school, I was afraid to try out. And finally, my senior year, I did, and I got the leads in both plays. Wow. And um, had never sung ever before. And I was Laurie in Oklahoma, and uh, I was Raina in Arms and the Man by Bernard Shaw. Such a ridiculous play, but I loved it. And um, that was the beginning. So I— and because I loved it so much, when I went to Michigan State, I decided to major in communications theater emphasis. That's what it was called then. Uh, but I did know I wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing was I was so sure I was going to be a math teacher, but my math teacher sat me down one day and said, I don't think so. <laughs> really? you, you, you thought you were going to be a math yes, teacher? Did. How did that happen? Because I loved math. Oh, really? But I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> uh, wow. That is so hard to, to picture is you as a math teacher. You know? All those figures? You don't think so? <laughs> the uh, Mobius strip. Wasn't that what that was called? The Mobius strip in geometry? Anyway. I took um, algebra one like three times, so I couldn't. <laughs> there was no. <laughs> Well, they wouldn't let me take trig because they said I wasn't smart enough to do it. Oh, they were very blunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah they didn't. Yes, they did not mess around at uh, Lee M. Thurston High School. Anyway, I went to Michigan State and was in a lot of plays there and uh, loved it and got my first teaching job in Saginaw. But I mostly, through my years, taught English because the theater teachers used to die with their boots on. Mm -hmm. So everywhere I applied, nobody needed a theater uh, teacher. So I honestly did plays through the years. Like I was at 
um, St. Xavier High School and All Boys High School, and they hadn't had a senior play in 25 years, and they came to me, and they said, You're not, we're not going to pay you, but will you do a senior play? I said, sure. And um, that type of a thing I got to do. But I didn't, I never did a musical. So... When I was 50, I got a job in Newark, uh, Ohio, at Newark High School next to Granville, where we lived. And um, she, this, her name was Mary Kay Boer, and she was fantastic. But she never did musicals. So she needed an assistant director. So I was an assistant director there for three years. And if I hadn't done that, I never would have been able to do theater. Uh, because I had to relearn, you know, and I had never done any of the tech stuff before. So it was a fantastic school uh, experience for me. So when I had an interview here, when we knew we were moving to Michigan, um, <laughs> I had seven offers to teach theater, believe it or not. Uh, everybody needed one. And... um this would have been in the mid-90s then? This, yes, this okay. yes. I started in 98. 98. Mm-hmm, yeah. At South Line High School. So um, I was interviewed by Larry... Uh, Jackson. Larry, Larry Jackson. Oh, Larry Jackson. I'm doing yeah, that senior yeah. moment. And um, and I just loved him. I, he was. I had an interview with seven people, and, and I just really connected with him. And um, when I left, one of the mothers came up to me and she said, you will stay, right? Because they were having trouble getting somebody. And I said, oh, sure. And I only intended to stay two years, actually. So I lied. And I had never done a musical before. I'd been in a lot of musicals, but I never directed a musical. So when, um, when I left, Mary Kay said to me, do what you're familiar with. So I did Up the Down Staircase, which we had done while I was at Newark, and I changed it a lot. And um, in fact, that's the only play Al Chapin did not design for me. The man who we had at Newark designed um, for the stage and changed it for me, At uh, and Jason Greaves built it. And um, I, uh, uh, Al worked on it, but uh, he he did not, you know, design it. So anyway— um, so here I am doing something, and you're, if you're going to ask me which what was the easiest play to do, mm-hmm. it was up the down staircase because I was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't worry about anything. I just did it. You didn't know enough to, yeah, to worry. Yeah, to worry. And it, it turned out to be great. It had a huge cast. I did not double cast, which is what I did from then on, always. Um, and anyway... Uh, it was a hoot and a half, so now I have to do a musical. So I played Laurie and I played Adelaide in Adelaide in uh, Guys and Dolls. So I really knew the play. So I, okay, I'm going to do Guys and Dolls because it's such a fun play. And we had set changes that took three minutes <laughs> because Al was designing and, you know, he hadn't done stage production before. And, oh, but it was wonderful. A lot of people have said to me it was one of their favorite plays because it's such a fun play. I, I have to say, I remember that was the first time that I remember seeing you because I was in middle school at the time and we came oh, and we saw a preview of Guys yes. and Dolls. And I remember, and I remember thinking that was my first impression of the theater there, right? And so I had always, I never knew that like a lot of high school theater productions are not nearly that extensive, you know, with the set and with the, the just the, the quality of the production. Um, I just thought that that's what they were. Um, so that was really interesting that uh, oh, that, that was your neat. first musical. Cause... Well, it was. And when I interviewed uh, the assistant, one of the assistant um, principals was Daisy Phillips. And I was told through the grapevine there was one person who didn't want me. And I was so sure it was David. So after the play, I came, I was, you know, I always sat in the audience and watched the play. And so I went out and I'm standing there and no one has really come out yet. And out runs David Phillips and he picks me up and he gives me the biggest hug. And he said, I knew you were going to be the best director we've ever had. And I'm going, 
whoa, I thought you didn't even want me. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I knew you were going to be great. You know, that kind of thing. He was just all this high like I was. This guy's name is David Phillips. Yes. The guy was. the guy who's out there putting the pictures on the walls is one of the corners of the studio. His name is David Phillips. That's oh, not the same guy. Though, Serendipity, right? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. why I was like, are Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait. So that but was anyway. the beginning. And then that's when I told Larry and him, I had never directed a musical before. <laughs> I talked myself out, into the job, but it I I just um I always wanted to be an actress, but I didn't have the talent and you can tell from my voice I don't have the voice. So, um I did a lot of things, but if I know that where I belonged was directing. So, um I stayed the 2 years and I said, "You know what? I'm loving this." <laughs> So I stayed. I stayed for seven, uh, retired. Um, and then you missed it. And then I missed it. And I was retired for two years. And Larry Jackson called me and he said, the new high school is opening and we can't find anybody. I said, yeah, you can't find it. Yes, you can't find another schmuck to do this. So <laughs> I came back for seven, no, five more years. And um, I have to say that they are some of the best years of my life. Fun, 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 fun. And I miss the kids. Oh, gosh, I miss the kids. They're, they can do anything you ask them to do or believe they can do, and it's just fun. I even got you on the stage. Yes! Yeah, yeah. That ended up being – that was my my senior year. It was the only year I did theater. And, mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, I remember I came to the auditions for all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, which would have been my freshman year, and I pussed out. I, I, was, I got there, and I was, I was like, this is terrifying. I have to leave. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sad. Yeah, so who knows what, you know, like you said, serendipity, Absolutely. right? But. Well, you were really, I have to tell the audience, okay. So Alex had never acted before, and he was fine. He came on and off for his, his little part. But when Showtime came out, we were saying, where did that come from? He was so into it and having so much fun, and you were one of the birds, yeah, 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 one of the yeah, birds, and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Yes, one of the Woodstock, and he yeah. was too cute. And and then, like you said, unfortunately, that you were finished. Yep, but that was that was great. That was uh, probably the best year of grade school that I had. Was my senior year in the theater theater times and just the community of it. You know what I mean? Oh, it, it was, is. It really we great. we had family, didn't we, Jim? We did. We definitely yeah. had. We worked hard we to have family. have family. Yes, you do. There's a ton of people that we're still connected. Yep. With. We go to Europe with them and they come to my house and we do um, dinners, dinners and, and we go to plays together yes. sometimes and we did derby together at my house and yeah. whatever. But I have to tell you about Jimbo. I met Jim Crow when he was a freshman, and he had had an operation on his back, and we were in Canada with— Candace Wallace. Thank you, Candace Wallace. And, uh, and Did we he, see Lion King there? We did. On Broadway? We yeah, did. And he's in this brace, this poor kid, and you look at him, and he just looks miserable. So I went over and, and talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> and I went over and talked to him, and he was just so nice. Okay. So, um, four years later, he uh, had helped on the plays with Sandy Manis. Yeah, I was house manager. Yes, sir. My senior year. And uh, uh, in, as far as I'm concerned, Jim has always had an old soul. He was much I'm more— still an old soul. <laughs> <laughs> so much more mature than the average high school boy. So when Sandy Manis, who did it three years from me, because I inherited her from the director before, and she was wonderful as my uh, you know man, business manager and all, she said, I want Jim Kroll to take my place. I said— He's 18 years old. I was 17. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought you were 18. And I said, Sandy, he has to handle money. She said, he'll be fine. So we got going with his first play, and he had to report to me every penny he spent. And I was always looking to make sure he wasn't dipping into the till, which I don't think <laughs> he could have anyway. And I don't know. We went about six weeks, and I said, oh, hell. This kid knows what he's doing. He's wonderful. And the deal was 
because as time went on, he took more and more upon himself because I'm just from the generation that we're just not uh, computer literate like I wish I were. And so he made a lot of things happen through the computer and um, was an amazing, an amazing helper. Um, I loved working with him. He was so easy. And he was always saying, hey, I can do it this way, or why don't you let me do that? And, you know, we even have tickets with real numbers on the seats. Yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we tried a lot of things. <laughs> we did. We did. So um, I've, watched Jim, I've watched Jim grow up. I've watched him get married. I've watched him start his career yeah. as a teacher. And I'm very, very proud of him. He's oh, a wonderful old soul. <laughs> I owe much of it to you. And we've traveled together. Yes, yes. Yep. He went, yes, he went on almost all of our trips. New York a couple times. London. London. Italy. Italy twice. Mm-hmm. Ireland, right? No. no. Jim did. No, that's no. when he had first got married, I believe, when we went yep. to Ireland. And that was when, you know. Your work life, you know, uh, prohibits. And marriage. Marriage. Cost. No, no. Costs. That's what I was going to yeah. say. When you get married, you're wanting a home, blah, blah. So there you go. Anyway. All those grown up we'll, things. Yeah. Adulting. Um, but we'll get to Jim in a second here. But uh, Donna, I, I, I had a couple of other things I wanted to ask you. You mentioned the easiest show you did, which was the Up the Down Staircase. What was the hardest one you did? Well, I had two of them. I had to think about that. When I was at uh, South Line East, um, it was... I I just want to say, Donna brought a list of all the plays that she's done, which is, nobody's ever done this. They've never, (laughs) which is, I'm I'm so glad you did because like when I was like, oh, I I did come to an audition in the fall of 2000. I never would have remembered it was all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. So this is... I'm, I'm really thank you for doing that. that oh, was, you're uh, so welcome. I needed to get myself organized anyway, but I think the hardest for me there was Into the Woods. Um, Sondheim's music is ridiculous, but wonderful, and it's a it's a musical play and musical comedy. And the first at, first half is the fairy tale, and the second half is be careful what you wish for, and trying to put that together and. Um, also, I roller skated in almost every play that I could, and we roller skated a lot in Into the Woods. Um, and it, it was a tough play to, to do because the kids had to understand that the serious was more, even more important than the fantastic fairy tale. And you had to present it so you understood that's what happens if. So that was a real toughie. And, um, but, um, we, I, as I said before, I double casted everything. My poor people who had to costume them and teach them their music. It was really tough on them doing that. It really, really was. But, um, my belief was theater in, at the high school level is education. And so you give somebody a, a kind of medium role to get them ready for a, a lead the next time. And the way you do that is by double casting. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and the kids were wonderful. I think that's what built family. Um, I never saw a lot of unhappiness because there's two of me. Um, they seem to work together and be so help. Thankful they had the roles together that I, I'd like to think it was the right decision. I, I think it was. And, um, and we, we did such, you know, West Side Story and Into the Woods and, uh, Kiss Me Kate. I, I think the kids had a fantastic background. We, we didn't do high school plays. And, um, I always told them that we don't do high school plays. <laughs> and a lot of people would say that to us, that, you know, what we did because of the amazing people I had to help. I mean, Alex, your mom and dad worked on the plays. They were wonderful. I had a parent group that we started, and nobody believed we should have that. But I knew from watching other directors that parents in the high school level want to be involved in their kids' lives, but, you know, you, they, the kids don't really want them. But when you do something like your mom's doing props and your mom's helping with costumes and your dad's building the set, you don't care. Yeah. But they're all involved. You know, right. they're just all involved. And, and today, like like um, Jim said, so many 
so many of these people are still really friends with each other, like your mom and dad. And there's so many of us that we're friends and care about each other and watching our children grow. It's pretty special. And then when I went to uh, East, um, I helped to design the theater. And Bill Pearson came to me and he said, you're going to, you're going to open that theater. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm retiring. (laughs) But two years later, I was ready to go back. So I was so excited. I was able to use the new theater that I had a little bit to say about it. And it, and it is such a beautiful theater, of course. And of course, they upgraded the old one and it it too is beautiful. It just doesn't have the backstage room that that's the hard part for, for uh, South Lion. But, um, the hardest one there was cats. Cats. Mm. And and the reason why is that's completely sung. And we had done Clue as my first play, and I had to beg kids to come and try out. <laughs> so Well, they only had like one class because it was the first year, right? So there was just two classes. No, two they classes. had but they were fourteen and fifteen. Right. You know, yeah. some of them weren't even fifteen yet. And on the whole, um we double casted Clue. And I was a- barely, just barely a- able to do that, but we could only single cast cats because the boys were upset they had to wear leotards. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was tough. It was really tough yeah. because of all the music, and they had never danced before nor sung before. But my daughter did all of my choreography except for Cinderella at the old high school for all my 15 musicals. And she was amazing. Melissa was amazing. And and her choreography made the kids look like they could dance. <laughs> and um, they took dance lessons. They took tap lessons in town from um, Melva, Melva yeah, and American her American dance. Cat dance Academy. Yep. Thank you. And she was wonderful. And Tina Evans uh, was her sister, and she came to help with the tap. But uh, between... Uh, my daughter and all the different directors we had, such as Stephen Cross and um, help me out here. Candice Candace Wallace, Candace Steve Lorenz. And the last was Yuck, um, uh, Andrew Hathakanavala. Hathakanavala, Andrew. Um, they, they, and, and Barb, Graves, Barb Graves. She was amazing. Um, the reason why... I think our productions were fantastic were because it wasn't me. You know, the director just has the vision and they make sure it happens. But if you've got the people I had, like Al Chapin with his fantastic, you know, detail, because he's a real artist, an artiste. And um, he... he uh, you had the dream team. <laughs> we did. We did. My husband constantly was saying to me, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. I hope you know how lucky you are. And I said, yes, yes, I do know. And Al, the way he got cornered into it, I used to take the kids downtown to the Fisher to see theater. And Al and Jill came with their son, Chris, to see, I don't even remember, but it was around Christmas time. And we're sitting there and his wife turned around, Jill, and she looked at me and she said, you know, Al designs sets for TV. Really? You know, my eyes go get like saucers. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I said, how about you doing... Um, <laughs> how about you doing Guys and Dolls with me? And he said, yes, and that was the beginning. And we used to fight over a lot of stuff because I wanted it one side and he wanted the other. But um, it was a real mutual admiration society, and I owe all of the success of the plays to him because people came to see Al Chapin's set. set. They really did. Yes. Yeah, it was a real perfect storm. It was. Yeah. And I had wonderful costumers. It started with Sheila D'Amico, who had never done costumes before. And then after her was Jill Stevenson, uh, Stevenson and Olga. Olga. And Olga stayed with me for a, for a lot, a lot of plays, yeah. a lot of plays. She was wonderful. So, and... Kristen McKee. I mean, I could go on and on and mention all kinds of, and if people are listening, I hope you understand. I wish I could think of you all fast enough, but you, you, you were all amazing. And then I have to say there were two really hard plays when we did Phantom. Oh, of course. Right. Yep. We had the flying in Peter Pan. So that was a challenge, but the the bringing down of the chandelier. chandelier that they designed for us based on uh, Palace Grenier in in Paris, uh, X Y Z did it, that for us, 
and we were the first high school to fly it. Really? Most high schools just had it at the ceiling, and it came down, and that was it. But we actually flew it over. Oh my god! Over the audience, and then back again. It it was pretty cool. That was one expensive flight operation. <laughs> it was. It was, and it was so worth it. It that was because of costumes, the period, and the music. Yeah, that's a hard vocal. Yep, the kids or, had to yeah. take the leads had to take vocal lessons. They just did because that music is for adult voices. And again, all I have to hear is it can't be done, mm-hmm. and we do it. We do it. Because how many times we were told for some of the plays, especially cats, you can't do that. Yeah. Oh and yes, we, we can. It. We did. And and the kids were so proud of themselves because they needed to be. They were wonderful. <laughs> what's uh What's the show that you wanted to do that you didn't get to do? You tell them. Oh, you've got to know the Jim. The Lion King. Yes. The Lion King. Yes. Yes. Uh, Just too much. No, no, no. They haven't put it out at the amateur level. Oh, oh. I call every year and the same man answers. He says, Donna, not yet. <laughs> and it sounds like I'm going to be 85 by the time it's released. Yeah. They released it at the junior high level, but it's so watered down. Right. Yeah, if you Lion follow King me. Junior. Uh, right. Who wants to do That's the, the Lion actual King title? Junior? Yes. Yeah. Oh well, they do it because, I mean, they did all the Disney things because they were losing kids at the middle level, is what I was told. And by bringing in, you know, the Little Mermaid and all this other stuff, they were getting kids to come out for theater again, which is what it's all about. But they won't release, they won't release um, Lion King. And the other one is Mamma Mia. Uh, ABBA. Yep, I want to. Oh, uh, I I want to do that so badly. I can't see straight. We'd have to do a little editing at the high school level, but um, that's the same reason though. Is they just haven't released it yet, or mm-mm. and uh, Al wants to do both of those with me. And um, there's still time. Yeah, so you might be yep. coming back. There might be a third. Uh, you'd be the Michael Jordan of uh, <laughs> theater. Uh, well, the problem is I have theater. no venue anymore. You know, my inns at the two high schools, they've all left the principals because Dave Phillips, who was principal at East until how many years ago? Two. Two years ago. He promised me I could come back and do both of them as soon as, but they're not released and he's not there anymore. So I'm sad. Hmm. (laughs) I'm pouting. All right. Well, we'll just, uh, we're going to move on to Jim then, I guess, and we'll uh, <laughs> end it on that note. But we'll come back. Uh, I got questions for both of you. Uh, Jim, I, I need you to do what Donna just did, but uh, talking about yourself. So go. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, uh, so we're, just tell where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born in Dearborn, Michigan, and I grew up in Westland until I was in uh, eighth grade. So I went to Kettering Elementary, which is now defunct and it is an empty field they bulldoze the place that's and not common usually it's a field turns into an elementary right, school right, in suburban right. detroit these days um and then i went to john marshall middle school and then i moved to south lyon where i met donna and my life really you know began sprouted from there mm-hmm. um my childhood was, you know, typical, I would say, of any uh, kid. I am an old soul. I was in Boy Scouts, and I was a um, acolyte at church, and I'm actually a Lutheran minister as well today. So, uh, you know, I my childhood is foundational to what has happened to this guy. <laughs> I have it, to interrupt to, to say that I got to go to, he's being modest. A Jim became an Eagle Scout and he raised blood, and, or, you know, for the, right? I'm doing that yeah, was your I did project. American Red Cross. And I guy. had never been to one of those ceremonies and I went to his and I was so impressed. I was so proud of you. I was so proud of you. You like put oh, that, that, you. Per, that whole event together on your own or like? Yeah, the, the blood drive and then the oh, okay. uh, Eagle Scout Court of Honor was like the final shebang. I got the badge and, you know, I'm, uh, one of, I want to say like 80 Eagle Scouts, uh, with the oldest Boy Scout troop in, Wayne County, I want to say, uh, Troop 1241. Um, 
and they're actually sponsored by the Ford Motor Company still today. So pretty neat. Yeah. Well, um, so so how, how did you? Because uh, I, I know you you got into teaching early on. I mean, you were working for Donna when you were seventeen. But I mean, so what happened before that? Like, how did you how did you become so damn responsible? You know. <laughs> um. Well, it was Mrs. Og in second grade that um really made me realize. You know, I. I always go back to second grade and thinking about the chaos that was in her classroom and how um, she was always given every problem child in the building and like three good kids. Well, I was one of the good kids. And to this day, when I still see Mrs. Ogg, she's still living. She's – I. I'm bad with ages, probably in her 80s. Um, she said that one day, a particularly tough day, I stood up and I said, now listen up. Everyone needs to quiet down. <laughs> at the, and you were seven at the time. Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God. And, you know, my pants were probably up to my nipples. And... <laughs> Well, I've said, man, like you, you've been you've been forty for like the past like right, you right. know t- you know twenty years, and you're thirty you're thirty three now, right? Thirty three so, now, yeah. Yes, so yeah. there you go, man. Yeah. Um. So that's when it started, though. You were like, okay, if I can do this now, then I'm gonna. Yeah, and I really thought I wanted to be an elementary school teacher, and I went back uh, during high school and early my early college years and i realized that i did not want to necessarily worry about bathroom issues and tying shoes all day long and you know um, actually taking care of the children right uh, right right i you know i like to rather zing the kids with my humor rather <laughs> than uh and most of it still goes over their head. But. <laughs> um, so you you went to Eastern, I remember, because we were classmates there. Yeah, too. we had a couple classes together. Some, uh, what was that? Jeff Duncan's. Yeah, it was just a. It was an. It was in uh, like an, just an English course. Yeah, was, intro read, to American Lit or something. Yeah, we read yeah. Faulkner and you know all all those kind of guys. I remember it was actually it was actually pretty boring. He was a good professor, but I remember one day at the end of class he he kind of. Stopped and he looked up and he's like, "Could you, everybody just do a line of coke next week?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was dry at times. Yeah, um, but yeah, I went to Eastern. I took six years to get my degree in secondary ed. Um, I graduated college debt free, um, which was super awesome. Mm-hmm. Especially when we graduated too, because right, the recession, right, so. right. Um, I put myself through school working with Donna and I subbed at um, the high schools and I was sub custodian for a while in the summer and I taught summer school in Howell, you know, to put myself through and I worked for South Lion Kids Club. So I. And then you graduated and did you, because you're at Lance Cruz now. Yep, Did I'm you in, go right there? Or was that your first job? Uh, that was my first job. I I subbed for two years in South Lyon, uh, kind of waiting for a job. Job never came open. Uh, so I went to Lons Cruz High School North, and this is year eight. And you teach English. And right? I teach English, yeah. Uh, when I started, I um, did – some of the acting classes, and I directed a play, one play there, um, before the former uh, drama teacher returned to the building. He was at the IAM, and when he came back, he took the uh, acting classes back, which I was totally fine with. Um, I've taught many courses uh, at Lons Cruz, but right now I'm, I've taught just English 9 and English 10 for the past uh, four or five years, uh, and I do the co-taught classes. So some of the class periods I have a special education teacher in with me to assist some kids that, you know, have learning disabilities. 
And uh, you just got your master's too. You're going for your master's, right? I have my master's. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> that was a year ago that I finished, and thank Man, God flies, that's yeah. over. <laughs> uh, those I got my master's degree from Eastern in school leadership uh, in 14 months, and thank goodness that um, my w- wife is in the profession she is because. She's a dentist. She yeah. paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> Debt free as well. <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's that that alone is an accomplishment. You know, getting the degree is one thing, but doing it without owing anything at the back end is and I mean in fourteen months. Yeah, and in yeah, yeah in a year I just, two months. I wanted to get it over with. <laughs> I do not blame you, you know, because I mean doing the school thing and teaching and, teaching. and you know uh, I still do some play things uh, in South Lyon for the theater program, and I also uh, have s- weekly duties at a Lutheran church. So, you know, it was tough to balance those fourteen months. I actually want to ask this to both of you. We'll bring Donna back in here, but um, so. What's going on now with the two of you? Like, I mean, what do you? Because Donna, you've been retired since 2012 um, from East, and you just travel a lot. And I know you, you split your time between you and your husband split your time between uh, California and and here because your kids are out in California and Kansas and Kansas. Our son is in Kansas. Our daughter's in outside of uh, San Francisco. Okay. I, in fact, we just got back last night from San Francisco. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and my father will have died. Two years in January, and Mom is ninety six in at Christmas, and so the last four years, I've been mostly taking care of my parents. You know, they don't live with me, mm-hmm. but I meant taking care of them and helping them as they go down their journey. Mm-hmm. So it's been tough, but we travel too. Our 50th, we went on a cruise and went up and down um, the uh, eastern seaboard in, into Canada and had to go to New York to see a couple plays and Philadelphia and Boston. And, you know, we travel too. We're going to Russia next year. Oh, my God. Where in Russia? St. Petersburg. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So much history there. Yes, I can't. It's my bucket list. My bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> You still have several other places on your bucket list, too. Yes, I do, but I don't know. New Zealand? Mm-hmm. And oh, man, I wa- New Zealand would be awesome. And I Lord also want to go on a go on a uh, river cruise because we've, we've taken ocean cruises, but we've never taken a, a river cruise. I'd like to do that, but we'll see. I also wanted to go to India. I wanted to go to Japan. It's not going to happen. <laughs> my, you know, my life is – I don't have many more years, so – We'll just take it as we get it. What about you, Jim? What's like? As you got your masters and all that, like, what are you? What are you looking to do? You know, in the um, years here? eventually, you know, my end goal. I would love to work in um, a school system, like heading up their human resources. So you know, hiring and um, hiring new employees and looking at contracts negotiations and things like that. I I think that that's where where I want to focus, but I know that you know that's a long road and I have to do the other jobs like assistant principal and possibly principal before you get into something like that. So, I don't know. You know, I'm comfortable right now in the classroom and I think, you know, in the next 5 years I'll look to make make a move, but you know, I I'm not fond of young administrators, so I don't want to be that guy. Okay. Well, that actually <laughs> that brings me to my first question for the both of you. Um, uh, what? Because you've both been in education, you've been doing it for a decade. You were in it for decades. How? What's your opinion of the public education system? I guess in in Michigan and the U.S. and how could it be improved? And whoever wants to go first. Um, that's a tough question because there's so many moving parts and, you know, from my perspective, 
I would love to be able to be left alone in the classroom and do what I what I'm good at teaching and there are many different avenues to get to your intended outcomes but education right now has led us to you know you have to be able to check this box and this box and this box and the rubric has to be add up to a 4.0 you know or you're not highly effective or a 3.5 or you're not highly effective and you know i understand you know i'm glad that there's finally a cis a some a measurement to measure teacher effectiveness because there are bad teachers out there mm. but i'm not sure that the current State, you know, the current um, way of doing things, right? Climate in Michigan right now is, you know, we're we have open positions in my building, in my district. Teachers, not we, we cannot find teachers to fill positions. And I think it's just the beginning of a long road that, you know, hopefully will turn out with a better outcome. And swing back the other way, hopefully. Um, I started as an educator 53 years ago. And when I started education, um, you were left to do your job. And principals usually supported you. And, you know, you, you didn't have to worry on that score. And... I started out in Chicago, and there were a lot of divorced kids at that time there, so the family life wasn't wonderful, and and that's never improved technically. We still have a lot of divorcees, so the kids are raised differently. Um, and I think through the years, I've seen such a change in the climate of education Um I was not expected to be a minister. I wasn't expected to be a nurse. I wasn't expected to be a counselor. I was expected to teach effectively. And one of the reasons why I I did quit quit teaching when I did was um, the demands. We now have to be our own secretaries. We have to do all the grading. You have to prove everything. You've got to be able to talk to the parents online every whip step you know, kind of thing. And I didn't want to deal with, I think we're talking about the same thing. I wanted to do what I was hired to do, which was teach and not get into the political stuff that goes on in a school because every school has politics too. And um, it, to me, we've gotten away from the ABCs. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm disappointed we're not teaching history like we should. We're not teaching geography. You know, um, we're not teaching cursive. I mean, just basic staples that you need to sign contracts and 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 checkbooks and checks and and just the normal thing yeah. of living. You know, the the frustrating part for me now is that you know when I was in. Middle school and high school typing was required, you know, yes, keyboarding skills. Which is and, an important skill. And right now, I would say that 95% of my students do not know how to type. So, how what's that percent? 95%. 95% don't know how to type. They don't know how to type. They, and it's, it's really no fault of their own. They grew up with, you know, the iPhone, you know, and smart, yeah, yeah, you know, thumb typing. And they, schools have cut those classes, right? you know, in this, you know, students used, when I started just eight years ago, our uh, English department offered like 28 different courses. We're down to like eight or nine, maybe 10. Maybe 10, but, you know, it's everything standardized. You know, there's it's English 9, it's English 10, it's English 11, it's English 12. And then there's a few, you know, electives, creative writing, acting, 
uh, newspaper, yearbook, and that's it. So it's really been it's it's they've trimmed all the the sort of electives and things like that. But then at the, at the same time, there's been all this added bureaucracy that comes with just the job of being a teacher, and right? And it, you know, I it's not even you know it's not any administrator's fault in any school district it's coming from the state yes it is and they are you know they are peddling as fast as they can and then something else is thrown at them and they have to pedal even faster to get these deadlines met and meet the requirements that the state is mandating so that they can keep funding it's it's a mess. <laughs> well, where do you see it going? Like, where, what's the future of all this then? Well, I mean, they say everything swings back. It's a pendulum, and I'm. It's, it's going to take something on the world scene to ever swing it back. What do you mean by that? Oh, like, like a war, like someone getting a hold of uh, a silly. Well, it's not silly. Uh, I myself, because I'm too old, I understand that. <laughs> But this this whole thing that everything's done now electronically and um, everything is boom, 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 boom. You know, you no patience. You don't need patience anymore. And everybody can find it without looking for it themselves. It's making us lazier and lazier. Um, you, you go out to dinner and four people are sitting there, the mom, the father, and the two kids, and they're all on their iPhones instead of talking. Uh, business people like my son and son-in-law, they can't hire people because people are le- aren't learning skills of communication because you don't have to anymore. Right. And um, that's a real breakdown. I mean, man is human because of his brain, yes, but he also has to be a communicator. And um, it really scares me because we can be taken over if anyone gets rid of all our electronics, and yeah. I don't understand it, but I guess they could, you know, wh- where would our country be? I don't know. And I, I worry for our grandchildren because, you know, you you don't have to meet anybody to to get married. You just can get online. Um, you can get married online. I mean, <laughs> you could buy all your clothes online, a house online. <laughs> where do we get to be people who are... Um, communicating with each other and being social mm-hmm. besides on a screen. And I think it's going to take some kind of big thing to change all that. It'll, it'll take sort of a setback in a way because I mean, I maybe some so. of this will have to be taken away in order for – because the whole face lack of face-to-face, what we're doing right now, we're, talk, we're right. sitting in the same room talking to each other, looking at each other. Right. And, uh, you know, you, Jim, your students, I mean, you know – they're. You know, I love my students, but they're uncomfortable talking to one another. You know, uh, my classroom door opens at like 630. The first kid walks in and I can say hello. They may or may not say hello back. And until 715 when school starts, kids enter. No one's talking. They're all on their phones. It, I think it is it, – the whole world is dealing with this. Yeah. It's just not America. Yeah, it is. It's the entire civilization and yep. to, to a degree. You know, Western civilization is definitely the, the spearhead of it. But um, it's, a, it's a whole new stage of evolution. You know, we, we, we evolved in a certain way and now it's happening so fast. I mean this is all – this is 10 years really. Right. The iPhone came out in 2007. You know, it's only it's, been around for 11 years. It's really you know? scary that is really, like, yeah. Where yeah. are we going to be in another 10 years? You know, but maybe it's, it's only going to take that long. You know, the, the, to use self-driving cars as an example, um, we can change a lot faster than people think we can. There's a picture I saw of um, New York City in 1900 and it's there's one car on the street and the rest is horses. Ten years later, it's all cars. So it doesn't take that long for people to adapt when they have to. Um, but it is going to – I do think that we're going to have to sort of learn how to turn off our pleasure centers in our brain because that's why this is happening. The, people are doing this because we're, we're animals, right? And we have yes. – we, we respond to certain stimuli and these companies have learned how to, uh, to activate that. Um, that's what it is. It's a drug. You know, it's a, it's a dopamine. Oh, it's addicted. Yeah. It's addictive. 
and um, it's destroying our, I think, our civilization. It's 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 a slow thing, and I mean, it, I was I was thinking about this too. You know, and they used to invent all these things, and you would have um, these these great inventors, and they would invent things that made life better for the average person. You know, they would cure diseases, and they would help us get around, and they would. It seems to me since the internet, the internet has has is good in a lot of ways. There there are good things about it. Obviously, Absolutely. otherwise it never would. Amazon dot com. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a double edged sword. They're right there, yeah. Amazon, freaking Amazon. Uh, but I was thinking, really, everything that's been invented, all these great, because we consider, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs, and these guys are our Thomas Edison's, and our we don't, I guess, of our time. You know, I'm trying to think of like a Tesla. I was about to say Elon Musk. And I'm like, no, no, he's not. He is not uh, Nikola Tesla, but. Uh, all the things that have been invented in the digital age are mainly their main purpose is to speed up commerce. That's really their only. There has not been. They're not to improve the life or the well-being of an individual. They are to make it easier to create economic transactions. And uh, that's a good point. It's uh, like you said. It's it's going so fast now. Nobody's because uh, people the people that are benefiting from it and are just are just kind of like wow, this is great. Let's keep this rolling. And right. who knows where it's going. And meanwhile, we've got other issues. You know, the planet is, is getting warmer regardless of – you know, I know I have friends that you know, are, <laughs> are, are uh, not convinced with that. But, hey, something's happening. You know, it's, it's November in Michigan. I don't it's – not, it's not normal for it to be this cold in no, November. I mean maybe we're getting into December now, so it's a little different. But, I mean, it seems like we don't have fall or spring anymore. I mean I remember right. when I was a kid we used to have it. It seems like we don't have it anymore. Um, so anyway, uh, that was quite a tangent I just went on there. Uh, but uh, so in your guys' opinion and getting back to the actual education system, and this is actually something that I know I was thinking about with theater on the way here. The whole, you know, what makes us human, you said, are these are these uh, face-to-face interactions and interacting in the community. And, and that's why, you know, you get the the – the best dopamine rush you can get that is not replaceable by any drug or, you know, be it a pill or a screen or anything is genuine human connection. And, Definitely. and theater is a great way to do that. And the arts are a great way to do that. I remember, I think it was Winston Churchill who, uh, I don't know when this would have been. I just remember hearing this quote, uh, ascribed to him. Uh, he was talking about, we need to like save money for the arts or whatever. And one of the guys was like, well, why, why are we, why are we doing like, we, we need to, uh, we can't afford that. And, and then Winston Churchill was like, well, then what are we fighting for? If you don't have a way of getting those, those connections, then we're just machines creating economic transactions for a, a class of parasites, if, I'm, if I can go that far. Uh, but um, uh, so in, in your guys' opinion, and I think we're, we're coming up on the end here, so we'll, we'll, we'll end on this. But uh, how uh, – in your guys' opinion, and just – with the education system, you don't have to go into everything else. Uh, but like, is there a way to to sort of pull us out of this, or is there a way to sort of trim the bureaucracy and get back to keep the the things that were good about when you started, Donna, when you teachers were left alone, but still be able to hold them accountable, which is what they're trying to do with all this extra stuff. I think if we go back to some of the basic courses and and and, and um, then at the high school level, like you said, there are, there should be more opportunity, like, for instance, in English or science or whatever, to take classes that do make us more intelligent (laughs) and give us more exposure uh, to ideas. Yeah, I mean, I I think we need to uh, de-standardize education. De-standardize? Yeah, because, you know, we— have a very large country, a very large, you know, population, and not everyone is good at reading Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. or not everyone can, you know, understand of mice and men, you know, simple novels like that. And every ninth grader should not have to read this book and this book and this book. They should have choice. So you should be able to have a person, a kid, play to their strengths. So like a kid that's not good at math should offer be of to, Right. Yeah. Offer a variety of courses mm-hmm. that challenge students in their interests. 
And and right now it is very hard to do that because I'm you know as the teacher more worried about have I taught that standard? Have I covered this novel? Did I do it in four weeks like the pacing guide said? Oh, or wow. did I do it in six weeks and where am I going to cut from? And then is that going to affect their final exam scores and will that affect my evaluation? Mm-hmm. So it's That's just, what I'm thinking. The regimentation of it is, is completely oh, I'm so glad I got out it. when I did because <laughs> I didn't have to deal with that at all. And, and That is just what I'm – Willing to talk about on yeah. air because <laughs> it stifles. It stifles the 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 teacher and the creativity that goes on in a classroom. When I didn't get finished what I was supposed to teach that day because neat things happened and dissection came up or whatever, I thought I had really accomplished something, and there wasn't anyone standing behind me saying, "Well, you have four weeks to do that, or if you don't do that, we're going to fire you." Um, you just did the best you could, and the mo- you know, education is at least even at the high school level is all about socialization. You can sit anyone down at eighteen years old and catch them up. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to go through all those twelve years of school to get there. Not really. I actually read a, th- a thread uh, on a forum today that it was it was asking teachers what what's a good thing that you've noticed about kids today, and a, almost all of the answers, and there were. Th- like hundreds of answers, but like there was a theme in them and they said kids today are actually nicer to each other. They don't bullying towards like different kids or kids who might be disabled. Like they're like when I was in school, these kids would have been ostracized at best and picked on at worst. They are apparently way more adept at including each other. It's, it's not cool to be a slacker anymore. Um, so that's actually pretty encouraging. That I, and I mean, that is encouraging. And I mean, these are. It sounds like these are younger kids that they're talking about. This is, you know, I think that because I'm a millennial, and uh, the one after me is Gen Z, which they call Zoomers. Um, and uh, they're all. I think the oldest ones of them are like in their mid twenties now. So these are. This might even be like whatever. Whatever is going to be after Gen Z. Um, but that's actually, you know, that kind of goes against what we were talking about before, which is the whole too much screen time. Maybe. Kids tend to rebel against whatever the generation <laughs> before them. So maybe the kids, that's that what it is, is. It just yeah. stops being cool to be on your phone all the time. It's like I would rather, you know, the, maybe we'll have the next generation will be a bunch of Luddites, you know. Uh, so Also, high school needs, they need to go back to shop classes and the different things, carpentry, ta-da. And there seems to be a movement for that. So that's a good thing because everyone does not need to go to college. Yeah, our uh, my school district has a vocational tech center, and they have seen an increase in like construction management classes and oh, that's uh, wonderful. hands-on learning, you know, horticulture and stuff. So that's promising. You know, mm-hmm, the bringing promising. the trades back. Not everyone has to go to college. Yeah, that's for yeah. Sure. That's what we. That's what the millennial generation discovered. You know, it was like this is the intentions were good, but okay, this this is not a. It's not an all or nothing thing. It's a. It can be more nuanced. But than that. for us, there was the expectation, right? Yeah, that's what you did. It was just go, what you, you did. go to college. Yep. There's no other option. Yep. Or you'll and, die poor and lonely. And yeah. if you don't go, you're a failure. Yeah, yeah. You'll die in the street. Right. <laughs> um. Actually, I wanted to end this on a more uh, positive note. Uh, um, are there any uh, is there is there any recent theater you guys have seen that uh, you want to uh, talk about, or any plays that you're interested in seeing? I'm going to see Diva Royale at the Purple Rose mm-hmm. uh, by Jeff Daniels on Friday, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to see Hamilton with you. I hope you're seeing e- Hamilton, even though I don't want to see it. I'm what? going to. Why not? <laughs> Why don't you want to see it? Um, oh, I, you don't have enough time. <laughs> I'm upset with him and whoever produced it to think that the cheapest ticket is 400 and something to see a show. Oh, yeah. And 1,000 to 2,000. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. So we were just in New York a, a, a year ago now, and – the, everything's gone way up because, hey, if he can get away with it, we can get away with it. And theater is supposed to be available for everybody, mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's unheard of. 
$465. I didn't realize that they were the ones that started that. Yes, he was. And I saw his first play. You were with me, I'm pretty sure, Into the Heights. And yes. it was a terrible play. Awful. <laughs> Awful. I've never heard of that one. So, and, and supposedly, you know, he's come up with this rapping. Well, okay. But uh, <laughs> rapping is merely talking to a rhythm. Well, you know who started that? My Fair Lady, Rex Harrison. Um, so, you know, he is not so novel, so to speak. I, I don't have a problem with the rapping at all. I think that that's actually kind of cool. And it was kind of inevitable, too, like that that form would get in. But I didn't know that that – because, I mean, how many – before Hamilton, it was the Book of Mormon and then it was Wicked. And they had all these massive plays. And I, they never went that high with their prices. That's crazy. No, not, so. not like this. Yeah, that's And not it's cool. not fair. It's not fair. All right. Well, so. Lin-Manuel Miranda – Fix your shit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yes. we got to wrap it up there. But guys, uh, Donna, Jim, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a great discussion. It's well, been great has talking been fun. to you. And yes. you are a wonderful leader. Oh, thank you. You are. Yeah, this was lots it's of fun. fun listening yeah. to you too, Alex. Way to go. <laughs> My baby grew up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to be uh, actually doing a show uh, – at 7 o'clock down at the Detroit Shipping Company location this Saturday. So um, there's some event going on down there, and they asked people to do shows. So I'm going to be doing American Minor down there. Uh, And then I'll be back next week, and I have Randy Gray from Ashes of Soma, who's a band that – the Canadian rock band. And and I used to listen to them on 89X back in uh, 2005. So I get to pick his brain. I'm looking forward to that. Um, And, uh, yeah, so that will be that. But again, guys, thanks so much for coming on. Thank um, you. I'd like to see you again. Let's uh, definitely. Let's this go. has been yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Now that I know how to get here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got to say, Donna, like I remember you calling me the end of summer 2003 about Charlie Brown. And I had hair down here. Was, I was a total, I really, really was just, I mean, I was okay, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I needed a little bit of a, I needed, some, I needed something to do. That's what it was. And I remember I had, I had, uh, pushed out on auditions again, and you called me at home, and you said, "Why were you not there?" And uh, I came in, and 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 I that was the best decision, and, and you know I'm so glad you talked me into that. So, so thank you again. I am too, because we love your family, the whole family. Yeah, all the uh, Bergs are special people, aren't they? Yes, every single one of you. Well, we love you too. Um, so, but that's it for uh, tonight. And uh, uh, my name is Alex Berg, uh, and this Bergsly, and this is uh, American Winer on PodcastDetroit.com.